Rabbi Katzenstein, Mrs. Molly Resnick, thank you very much for inviting me this evening to this Galam Lava Malka. It's a special privilege for me to be here in the Heights. I actually spent the first few years of my life here, and um, so much of my family history um, comes from Washington Heights and Breuer's and I still continue to have such distinguished cousins as Johnny and Naomi Hellman, who are here. The Torah to Mima sometimes says things that are a little controversial. It's one of my favorite commentators on Chumash, but sometimes he himself admits that He's saying something that's taking a bit of a risk. And in Parsha's Bay, which we're already upon this evening, he says on the Makkah of Cheshach that Chazal tell us that the Makkah of Cheshach was Ke'uve Dinar. There was a coin's worth of thickness that Cheshach was, that the plague of darkness was. And he says a very big Chiddush in explaining what that means. He says that really conventional wisdom of how Makas Cheshach looked, that it was all pitch black in Egypt, and the Jews happened to have like night vision goggles that they were able to see what was going on when everyone else couldn't. He says maybe that's not really what it looked like. Perhaps he said... What Chazal are indicating to us is that the Uve Dinar was like a cataract that was covering the Egyptian eyes. And really it was broad daylight. And just the Egyptians were not able to see and the Jews could see. And this comment elicited a lot of backlash against the Torah Tamima because they felt this was not something that could really be Countenance. It's too, it's too big of a Chiddush. I wanted to possibly just suggest an alternate understanding of what this means that it was Ke'uve Dinar, that the map of Cheshach was the thickness of a coin. Perhaps what Chazal are trying to say is that when a person has money in front of his eyes, that very often leads to darkness. What's normally very clear to a person, what's very visible, suddenly becomes blinding when temptation of financial gain, even in unethical ways, comes before a person. Klal Yisrael, B'chol Yisrael, there was light wherever Klal Yisrael was because they were always honest in business. They were always ethical. The Mitzrim, they had the Uve Dinar that made Cheshach for them. They weren't able to see clearly where the Jewish people were. And I'd like to speak a little bit about this topic of Kiddush Hashem in the workplace. And I don't think that there's a better place in the world to speak about this 
topic than in Washington Heights. Because this is really the epicenter of Misaira, a tradition of how ethical, honest people conduct business. I don't have to remind you that Arab Shabbos, that Friday, was the yard site of Rav al Hirsch. And starting from him already, until today, there has been a, a very, very highly acknowledged Messiah that Yekesh are Jews that are always impeccably honest. Hosham Shorafal Hirsch, it was known that he was paid by the Kehillah in Frankfurt in quarterly installments. And those quarterly installments were paid in advance. So based on the civil calendar, every quarter, he was paid a check from the Kehillah, and that would last him until the next quarter. And as he was getting older, he was worried. Because let's say he would be nifter in the middle of that quarter, he would actually owe the Kehillah money for the amount of time that he was not the Rav. And so he told his children that whenever I'm nifter, if I'm nifter in the middle of the quarter, make sure to pay back the Kehillah, whatever the difference is. Well, we know that he was nifter on December 31st. 1888, the last day of the quarter, almost predictably, because how could he have it any other way? This is exactly what he lived his life by, so that's how he died. His grandson and spiritual heir, Rabbi Yosef Breuer, coined the phrase that we all know that it's not as important to be mafid on blots kosher, as it is to be makbid, that you're glat yosher. To be straight, to be honest, to be ethical, to be moral, is much more important than anything else that a Jew could be. And of course, he lived his life that way as well. And who can forget Rav Shimon Schwab's Ephesadik Lebracha, who was the quintessential Isha Emes, he was so meticulous in all of his financial affairs and all of his financial matters. From his youngest, earliest years, as a boy of six years old, the story is told that he would go on Arab Shabbos to do errands for his mother in the local grocery store in Frankfurt. And his mother gave him a certain, certain amount of money, and of course he was expected to bring home the groceries and the change, but he bought a chocolate bar for himself, which he ate on the way home. And when he got home, his mother counted the change and said, it seems like there's some, some change missing. And then she noticed that he had the wrapper of the chocolate bar, the finished chocolate bar, sticking out of his pocket. I just actually said this story tonight by Shalashudis in my yeshiva, and I said, the first thing you learn from this story is always make sure to throw the wrapper out before you get home. <laughs> but his mother saw that there was a wrapper, and she got very upset. She said, 
you didn't speak the Emes. That wasn't so bad, but his father came home. And his father was told, I guess, by his wife that young Shimon did not speak the Emes. And he said to him, you didn't speak the Emes? Tonight, Friday night, I'm not going to bench you. And you'll never forget, this is what happens when a person doesn't say the Emes. And indeed, he never forgot this lesson of how to deal with money was further imbued in him in the Mir Yeshiva in Poland where he studied. And there he was a very close Talmud of the great Rabbi Rucham Lubavitz Mashiach. Rabbi Rucham had in his own gemach, like a free loan society in Yeshiva that he ran himself. And when the Bachram from far away needed to come back by Ben Azmanim to go back home during intercession and before Yom Taibim, they would come to him and he would lend money and then they would bring back money from home to repay the Gemach. So when Rav was going back to Frankfurt from Poland, he came to Rabbi Rucham and he said, I'd like very much to borrow $100, let's say, from the Gemach and I'll pay it back when I come home. Rabbi Rucham gives him the money as a loan. And Rav Schwab says, thank you very much. And Rav Yerucham started lacing into Rav Schwab. He says, how can you say thank you? Don't you know, and surely you do, that the halacha says that just like you're not allowed to give interest on money, you're also not allowed to give interest of words. You're not allowed to say thank you. Just like you're not allowed to add 100 $100, an extra $10 for the use of the money, you're not allowed to say thank you. Elamai, why are you saying thank you? Because you're Yekesha Bacher, and you are so ingrained with your etiquette of saying thank you that you think that thank you and etiquette trumps halacha. And of course, that's not so. And for like a good half an hour, Yeruchim was giving the Musr Shmuz of Rav Schwab's life and it was very hurtful for Schwab, as you can imagine. The next Yantif rolls around, and he comes back to Rav and he asks him again to borrow money to go home. Rav gives him the money as a loan. Rav Schwab doesn't say a word this time. And he starts heading for the door to go home. And Rav calls him back, he says, he didn't say thank you. <laughs> so Schwab looks at him and he says, He says, last time, I don't know if you remember, but the last Yantav I said thank you. I never, I'm still feeling that thank you till today. So do you think I'm saying that again? How could the Mashkiach tell me that I have to say thank you? So Yerucham says to Schwab, I didn't mean to say thank you with your mouth. I wanted you to say thank you with your face. And you didn't do that. Thank you has to come out of your face. You have to be able to show on your face a thank you. You don't have to say it with your mouth. 
You have to say it with your face, and that I didn't see either. I once told this story to Aaron Schefter, Zalgazunstein, and he said, Das heißt fine-tuning. That's what fine-tuning is. On, on a radio, you want to get the right dial, so you have to keep on going back and forth until you get it right. That's what a good Rebbe is. <coughs> Somebody that, no thank you, too much thank you, too little thank you, but that's until you get it right, and Rav Schwab got it right. And for the rest of his life, he was so perfect with all of his dealings. When he was traveling once with his son, his young son on the subway, so his son found 50 cents on the ground in front of the booth, the toll booth in the subway stop. And Schwab said, give the 50 cents to the attendant. And his son said, do I have to? I mean, I just learned in yeshiva that it's money, I don't have to. Schwab says, give it to the attendant right now. And after you do, I'm going to stick my beard into the window of the attendant's booth so that he knows very well that Jews have no interest in taking other people's money. Even though the yeshiva and the kehillah were struggling financially at certain times, he was still very matbid not to ever do anything that would be a chil Hashem. And one time a very wealthy person came to him with a donation for, for the yeshiva, for the kehillah, and he gave it to Rav Schwab, a very big check, and the yeshiva could have certainly used the money. But Rav Schwab says to him, forgive me if I'm wrong, but didn't you go through a bankruptcy proceeding not too long ago? He says, yeah, I declared bankruptcy a few years ago. But Baruch Hashem, I got out of bankruptcy. Now I'm, I'm much wealthier than I was before. He says, did you pay back all of the people that you owe the money to that you, when you declared bankruptcy? You had a lot of creditors, a lot of vendors that you didn't pay. Did you pay them? He says, no. He says, that's what bankruptcy is all about. He says, well, there's no bankruptcy in Shulchan Aruch. In Shulchan Aruch, we believe that when you borrow money from somebody or when you owe money to somebody, you have to pay them back. There's no thing in chapter 11. He says, take this check back, give it to all the people that you owe money to, and then after you do that, then you can come back to the yeshiva and give some money. At the end of Schwab's great life, and this I heard from the Gavir who this happened with. Rav Schwab was very upset because the yeshiva was in around $800,000 in the red. And they hadn't paid their abeyim, they hadn't paid their teachers for a long time. And Rav Schwab called in a very wealthy balabayas and told him I'm not going to be around that much longer. And I'm going to go to the Elam Amas, and they're going to throw me into Gehenna. 
Because I was the person who people thought was the Isha Emes. And I represented the community whose motto is Terem Derech Eretz. And I haven't paid my teacher's salaries in months and months and months. Is that Derech Eretz? They're going to throw me into Gehenim and I don't have the money. We need $800,000. I don't know how to raise it. But you do have the money. Please save me from Gehenim. So this uh, very wealthy man got very nervous because it's not easy. And I told this also to people recently. They, you know, people think that when you're very wealthy, so you just you can just cut checks easily. I think it's harder to do that when you're wealthier than when you're not, for various reasons. But this person says, I need some time to think about it. I, it's a lot of money, and I can't just do it like that. You have to give me some time to think about it. And Ashab says, fine. He says, go home, drive home. And when you're home, I'm going to call you and, and, and I'm going to expect the answer from you. So this man tells me that he was sitting in the car. He got out of Ashab's apartment. He was sitting in his car and he was schwitzing. He didn't know what to do. He was so, he didn't know what to do. He got home. Of course, the phone rang. And it was Ashab. And he says, do you have an answer for me? He says, yes, I do. So I'm going to give it to you the money. He says, the Shiva dinner is in 10 months. I'm going to give you every week a check, and by the time the Shiva dinner comes, I'm going to be fully paid up. And sure enough, by the time that the Shiva dinner rolled around, there was the entire amount paid in full, Sunday night was the yeshiva dinner. Monday night, Rosh was nifter. As Shamshir Bal Hirsch died with the emes, Rosh also died with the emes. The pasuk puts Chil Hashem. Together with Kiddush Hashem. The Pasuk says, Don't make a chil Hashem. Don't disgrace my name. And I believe that the reason that the Pasuk puts these two concepts, which are diametrically opposed, together, is because they're very similar. That just like chil Hashem, has a ripple effect that we know, we feel, whenever we read in a newspaper that somebody did something really bad and it besmirches all of our reputations, all of our good names at work and in shul beyond is tarnished when, some, when a single Jew creates a chil Hashem. The same is true when a person makes a kiddush Hashem. Wherever we make a Kiddush Hashem, whether we make it at home, we make it in, in, in a public sphere, in the workplace, in a cubicle, in a store, whatever we do, whenever we make a, a Kiddush Hashem, there's a ripple effect that spreads so far and so wide. There's a chairman 
of the board of the Agudas Yisrael of America. His name is Mr. Sal Werdiger. Very wealthy man. He has a very, very successful company called Outer Stuff. He makes all of the uniforms with every major league baseball team, basketball team, football team, hockey team. Whenever you see a kid or a grown-up wearing a sweatshirt or a t-shirt or a, a cap or a pair of sneakers that have some major league sporting franchise emblazoned on it, that's all his stuff. One day, Mr. Werdiger got a phone call from a Korean man. His name was Mr. Jun. And Mr. Jun asked if he could go out. He's going to treat Mr. Werdiger to lunch somewhere in a kosher restaurant in the city. And he agreed. And so they went out together to lunch. And Mr. Jun told Mr. Werdiger that my daughter interned in your company. She's from South Korea. She's been interning for a full year now. And it, she had such a great experience. She has to go back to South Korea now, but she had the time of her life at your company. She learned so much. She was so impressed by you. You know, in Korea, we had certain stereotypes about Jews, and you shattered every single stereotype. She tells me about how poor people come into your office and every single one of them is treated properly and walks out with a, a generous check. How the men break for afternoon prayers every day. How when on Friday afternoons everybody goes home for the Sabbath, even the non-Jewish workers go home for the Sabbath. And how overall she's treated with such respect and dignity. He pulls out his checkbook and he says, I'd like to pay you all of the salary that you gave her over the course of the year. He says, absolutely not. Your daughter did a phenomenal job. She was such a pleasure to have in the firm. And there's no way in the world that I'm taking your check. He says, that's fair. Then he says, I don't know if you know who I am. He says, I am the South Korean ambassador to the United Nations. And as such, because of the great impact that you had on my daughter and how fondly she speaks about Orthodox Jews, there were many times this year that me with a seat on the Security Council of the United Nations had the opportunity to vote against the State of Israel on many resolutions and I abstained just because of you. He didn't know that she was the daughter of the South Korean ambassador to the United Nations. This is what happens when a person engages in Kiddush Hashem. One man with one company creating ripple effects that have global implications. Just like Leisachalu has global implications, Benedashi has global implications. Ben Brathman, a great lawyer, Orthodox Jew, won many very celebrated cases involving very famous non-Jewish celebrities, getting them out of trouble. Perhaps the greatest victory that he had in court took place a few years ago 
and the verdict was issued on Arab Shabbos. And he came out of the courthouse steps, and he knew that this would happen. There were maybe a hundred reporters from all over the world waiting for his reaction. You won the case. This was the greatest legal victory of your career. What do you have to say about it? So he said like this. He says, when a quarterback wins the Super Bowl, the minute is that he says, I'm off to Disneyland. Right now, I have to go off to the Sabbath. He says, my Sabbath is coming up very soon. I have maybe an hour and a half to get home to Long Island. He says, I must leave now. I can't not leave. I have to get home. I'm very sorry, but this is what it is. This was covered by every major news source in the world, this statement. And he said that many people came over to him afterwards, years later, and said that you don't understand what that one statement did because so many times when I was leaving work on Arab Shabbos in these short winter Fridays, my boss rolled his eyes every single time that I had to leave at 1 o'clock, 1.30 to get home in time. He didn't believe that. It's a hard value. I have to get to a certain destination by a certain time or else. But then when he saw, my boss saw that you, the greatest lawyer in this field, made a public declaration that it's Arab Shabbos and I must get home right now. I don't have time to talk to reporters. I must get home. From that time on, my boss never said a word every time I wanted to leave early. He understood that this is a real fact. This is the Nikdashi. How one man can make amazing Kiddush Hashem that spreads throughout the universe. On Matzai Shabbos, us Yakis have a minute to say a, a pisman after Shabbos. Hamavdil ben Kaidesh Lachal, Chateseno Yimchal, Zareno ve Kaspeno Yarba Kachal. Zareno ve Kaspeno Yarba Kachal means that our children and our money should increase like the sand. Just like the sand is innumerable, the amount of grains of sand, that's how our money, along with our children, should also be like that. And the Schwab asks a very basic question, how could we put children and money together? That's really Kaidish and Chau in the same sentence. You want to talk about Kaidish and Chau, you're saying that children and money go hand in hand? So he says as follows, he says that money is very holy. We might not like to admit it, but money is very important. We can't do very much without money. Without, without money you can't pay your bills, without money you can't open a yeshiva, without money you can't run a yeshiva, you can't run a shul. You need money to function in life. That's the way the Rabbi Yisrael made the world for some reason. But it matters how you make the money. 
And if the money is made honestly and with great integrity, then money is very holy. And with holy money you could do so much. With money, with holy money, with money that's pure, we can build Tyra beyond our wildest imaginations. We can pay off our all the debts that our yeshivas have. We could grow kailim and beisachros. We could do everything with money. But it matters how we make the money. And Roshwab with his life taught us how important it is to be ethical and honest in business. To make a Kiddush Hashem so that the cheshech of the uve dinar that covers our eyes when we go out into the workplace doesn't blind us. And so that we're able to be an arlagayim. Ulechal b'nei Yisrael hayyarim As in Mitzrayim, we were not plagued by the uve dinar. We have light in our own camp. This is what the Messiah of this Kehillah teaches us. How to stay within the light of the world and not in the darkness. How never to permit the Ube Dinar to blind our vision. I'd like to thank you very much for having me this evening. And it's a very, very big schuss to speak in the hallowed buildings of this great, great Kehillah that has added and has enhanced the entire Messiah of Ashkenaz, but more than that, has really been the moral conscience of Kal Yisrael as a whole. Have a good Tavach.